2022 or Death Holler brought us Season 3 Slash or Pass It became the classic horror film podcast of its time And now Death Holler brings us the most shocking season ever Season 4 Dead or dead? Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Imagine, if you will, that one of the hosts is absolutely terrified of zombies. So, what's the plan? Bash him in the head. That seems to work out. Now, accept the fact there is no escaping this horror. Death Holler brings back the dead. Their discretion is advised. With hospitality like this, you'll never want to leave. We hope you stay alive. When there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk here. to death holler i'm your host and omega man the reverend dr death and joining me in this sojourn into the apocalypse is the legend herself la urena think you could take on a pack of fast running vampires urena i mean i would prefer not to because exercise is just not in the afterlife for me um i'd rather not but thank you i'll pass uh i think i would too um <laughs> Yes, we are reviewing a selection of vampire films during zombie season. It might seem like we've jumped track not even a month in, but hear me out, folks. This is part of the modern zombies history. All of the films we are covering today are versions of the novel written in 1954 by prolific genre writer Richard Matheson. Um, he's famous for such classics as... Uh, uh, Nightmare at like 20,000 Feet, I believe is the name of the episode, on The Twilight Zone where, you know... Uh, Shatner's looking out the window and sees the creature on the wing of the plane. Um, he's, uh, I mean, he, there, uh, Steven Spielberg's first movie duel is actually, uh, based upon a, a, a story by Richard Matheson. So he's got a lot of bona fides in the genre. Uh, but why is this novel important? Well, it is documented as one of the main sources of inspiration for a young filmmaker by the name of George Romero. Don't know. Don't know who that I is. I've never heard of him. Uh, uh, when he was coming up with the concept of a little movie called Night of the Living Dead. Um, uh, the zombie apocalypse idea came about because of the novel I Am Legend, which is the one we're speaking of. Um, so today we're going to discuss three different film takes upon that seminal novel, all with ver varying faithfulness to the source material. Uh, so make sure the garlic is still fresh, <laughs> gas up the generator, and barricade yourselves against the undead hordes as we discuss la The Last Man on Earth, The Omega Man, and I Am Legend. First, if you're enjoying the podcast, we'd appreciate it if you could take the time to like, comment, subscribe on whatever podcast platform you prefer. It helps us get more visibility on podcast listings and helps us grow. Also, consider following us on social media. You can find us on TikTok and Twitter under Death Holler Pod, and we can be found on Instagram and Facebook under Death Holler Podcast. We appreciate everyone who listens and hope you enjoy the show. Let's tack some bees. What is that? What is that? What is it? Oh, no, not the bees! Not the bees! Ah! I'm my eyes! 
I didn't quite say that when I was watching this particular movie that I'm going to bring up, but it wasn't far off. Um, not my <laughs> eyes, please. Uh, the movie I'm talking about this episode is I Am Omega from 2006. That is such uh, a ripoff. Uh, yeah. That's it's, like trying to this, get your Omega Man and I Am Legend from Wish. Uh, it basically is. So <laughs> I, this movie is if... You know that those uh, how they do used to do Redbox. Well, I don't know if you was big into them, but Redbox used to have this thing where they had these also ran movies. So if like Sharknado was going on, like uh, you know, and real big on like sci-fi, uh, Redbox would have a bunch of movies that were knockoffs, like uh, you know, Bear Tornado or, oh, or yeah, whatever. It's something something stupid, you know, <laughs> Cocaine Sharks. That, yeah, Cocaine Sharks. Uh, this is that type of movie and it was made literally a year uh, it was it was made before this but it was released right as they were ramping up the advertising for i am legend with will smith so it was okay a cash in, oh know. it's 2006 okay i totally missed that because i was like i was thinking that this was around the time omega man slash last man on earth Okay. No, they, they they filmed this, I think, maybe early 2000s. It kind of got left in the, you know, uh, development hell. And then, like, uh, I don't know if it would have got released, but then I Am Legends, you know, started getting traction. Or like, hey, we might get some money out of this. Let's release this. Jesus. Uh, tagline, the last man alive must battle a planet of the dead. I mean, that's the general plot of these movies, mm-hmm. so that works. Yeah. Directed by Griff First, what a name, uh, written by Jeff Mead, who did the screenplay, based upon the novel by Richard Matheson, obviously. Uh, music by David Raiklin and Mark Waters. Uh, principal players, we have Mark DeCascos. I have no idea. Your guess is as good as mine. Uh, who plays Renchard, uh, our seemingly lone survivor. I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, he was in movies such as Brotherhood of the Wolf, uh, John Wick Chapter 3, and wow. Double Dragon. He's he's kind of just, uh, I mean, he's more of an action-type star, and that's this movie plays more to action than any of the other ones actually do. So it's, it's in that vein. Um, got a vaguely Asian appearance. I don't know what ethnicity Mark is, but that's kind of what he, you know, he's got going on. And they, they use him a lot for those roles. Okay. Uh, Jennifer Lee Wiggins plays Brianna, who is a girl, uh, who seem, who seems to be immune to the virus. Uh, a lot of the plot revolves around trying to rescue her, rescue her from the city because uh, since she's immune, they're wanting to try to synthesize her blood and try to make a cure out of it. Does she have one uh, eye that's different color than the others? I mean, uh, let's just rip off from multiple movies, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't think she does. I mean, she's not a bad looker to be honest, and there is some chemistry between her and the main character toward the end of the movie. So there's that. Um, she was in movies such as Hornet, Arctic Apocalypse, and Asteroid Again. So Asteroid she's used Again. to these knockoff movies. Okay. I mean, Arctic Apocalypse. Right. Uh, Jeff Mead, uh, also one of the, the, the screenplay writer, um, that should tell you something. He's the third lead in this movie, uh, plays Vincent. Uh, he's one of a pair of misfits out to save Brianna, or is he? Uh, actually turns out that him and the guy that he rides up with uh, are like part of a faction who sees Brianna as a threat to the new way of life. They like having the world uh, be a post-apocalyptic mess because it got rid of all the bullshit and they don't want her going back and saving it. So they, uh, they're out to take her out basically. Okay. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. Who's the minority? (laughs) That's all I'm saying. Uh, he was in Four Horsemen, The Apocalypse, Resident Evil Extinction, and Asteroid Again. So he's got some links there with the Jennifer Wiggins. That's probably why she did this. And uh, strangely, he was in Fast Five. So he's he's been in some, uh, I mean, these are bits parts, obviously, but he's been in some higher level stuff. Uh, Ryan Lloyd plays Mike, who's the other misfit. Uh, the only thing I ever saw or saw of interest on his IMDb was Night of the Hell Hamsters. I don't think I would want to watch that, but that could be a nice, uh, you know, attack of the bees for uh, when, when bad, bad animals, animals go, go bad. bad. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then finally, uh, Joshua Schlegel plays Renshard's son in, a, in the past tense. Uh, it, she's shown for a brief scene at the beginning of the movie, 
uh, when the uh, vampire apocalypse starts, uh, the babysitter or whoever it is is trying. It doesn't really establish who the woman is. I, it, it might even been Richard's wife is trying to get him out of the house, trying to get him to safety, and they both get taken out by a vamp. So you know. okay, so just so for clear for all thirteen of our listeners, I think eighteen, um, <laughs> we're growing. I'm just kidding. We are we're talking about vampire zombies, correct? They are more like zombies in this movie. Yeah. I mean, there's very little vampire to them, other than the fact that they don't go out during the daylight. That's it. Yeah, because you know? I feel like that is... So they're zombie vampires. Basically. Okay. Trying to get... Just trying to lay the foundation a little bit, just so people don't get confused. Like, why are you talking about vampires? We're, well, they're, 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 they're a hybrid. Well, when I talk about <clears throat> uh, Last Man on Earth... I'll probably get into that more. This movie doesn't deserve the length of the novel because it's in the barest minimal to the novel that okay. you can possibly be. Uh, it does have the closest to zombies of any of these movies, though. Like, I, like I said, the the actual and I want to say that there is a scene during the daytime where one of the guys gets attacked out in the open by by the vampires. So even like the the date they're not out during the daytime thing is not even held to as much in this movie. Um, Kind of just cash grab, you yeah. know, for all it is. So, synopsis, after losing his son during the first days of the ghoul apocalypse, I'm just going to call them ghouls because they're closer to that than they are anything else. Okay. Uh, Rinch, Rinchard fills his days scouring the city for nests of ghouls and his nights trying to communicate with any of other survivors. He has about given up and accepted he is the only man left alive when he sees an internet video, which is a whole other thing. If the apocalypse is happening, I don't know how the internet's up and running, but we'll leave it at that. Yeah. Of a young woman claiming to be immune to the virus. Uh, thinking he is going insane, Richard refuses to accept the video's real until two survivalist misfits from a nearby colony blow up his home in a very bad CGI explosion <laughs> and demand he helps them save the girl. Uh, L.A. is rotten. The dead are a-knocking, and Renshard is ready to blow the whole place to hell because that's the reason they are having to go there to save her. He has rigged C4 to, like, throughout the entire fucking city somehow over the course of the years that this apocalypse has been going on, and he's just ready to blow L.A. all the fuck up. This so. movie was made in, what, 2006? Yes. You think this was the foretelling of Los Angeles now? <laughs> I mean, like, I'm going to be honest with you. The only thing keeping Los Angeles alive is Disneyland and Universal Studios. That's it. That's it. I would say that John Carpenter's uh, escape from L.A. is probably closer to how L.A. would be, uh, or is now probably. But um, uh, if you've never seen that, it's got some interesting uh, post-apocalyptic L.A. stuff going on. Are we doing a post-apocalyptic season? Because it's hard to do that when we're doing zombie season, and that is the forefront of apocalyptia. Uh, I we might do a John Carpenter season. Okay. Oh, and then we I can. Yeah. Okay. Or 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 link him with some other major director and like make a season out of it. Because I don't know. We've already parceled out a little bit of John Carpenter stuff already. So That's we'll see. True. Um. Uh, it's it's hard to fit like Escape from New York and Escape from L.A. into anything because they're not really horror movies or mm -hmm. just post-apocalypse movies. Yeah, but so. that scares the shit out of some people. Like that really gets it, people down to the core. It it is true. Um, this movie is, I mean, got cheesy acting. The visual, the zombie visuals are not bad. They actually put some decent. And I will say this: the zombies in this or the ghouls are actually better than anything anything that they put in I Am Legend. So I will give them that because they at least went with, you know, practical effects. But acting's terrible. Uh, movie barely, you know, has the same kind of plot as like a million different zombie movies with only just uh, scant connections to I Am Legend, the book. So it is, um, unless you're wanting to complete your, you know, your uh, viewing of any of the I Am Legend uh you know, movie adaptations, I would not watch this. Yeah, Just the zombies don't look terrible, but the actors look so fucking cheesy. Um, They're pretty damn bad. Yeah, it's funny because you wouldn't think that just looking at somebody, you'd be like, yeah, that looks like they're a terrible actor. No, they actually do. It's funny. <laughs> I feel bad. Uh, and it has all, I mean... It, it has all the markings of one of these knockoff movies that are oh, cash yeah. grabs. I mean, like the CGI is just bad. I mean, you know, you got the, the hot babe with decent knockers. 
that she's one highlight because, like I said, she's not bad. But yeah. Like, I mean, you know, otherwise, it's not that great of a movie. The action scenes that the main character, Renshard, that, that Mark plays, he, he does a pretty good job, but he's been in, I mean, he's in movies as an action guy. So, I mean, he, you know, he's used to that. Um, Nick Cage rating on this one, I'm going to give it Sympathy for the Devil. It has some interesting scenes, but it's straight to video, forget forgettable nothingness, just, you know, just kind of out there in the ether. I would say that makes for a perfect Attack of the Bees. <laughs> it, it is, it, out of all these movies, it is definitely the B movie out of all of these. I feel like Attack of the Bees should have a rare gem every once in a while. They can't all be good B movies, you know? Uh, They're not well, intended I mean, to be. I, I don't try to make them good B movies. Yeah, that's it's just true. that, you know, I, I don't hate a lot of B movies. I'll give them some kind of benefit, but this one just kind of had me looking at my phone most of the movies. Oh, so. dirty. Uh, all right, on to our first movie of the evening uh, The Last Man on Earth from 1964. Tagline, and this is a long one, so stay with me. Oh, Jesus. By night, they leave their graves, crawling, shambling through empty streets, whimpering, pleading, begging for his blood. <laughs> Jesus. I mean, okay. That's the, that's not even a tagline. That's a movie synopsis. I, I know. it's I, <laughs> Sometimes sometimes you get taglines that are, you know, pithy and to the point, and they're actually pretty good, and others, it's like, okay, dude, you just described the entire movie. What what, what are you trying to do here? Do, oh, do, are there other taglines that were used later? Like, do you know how sometimes you have extra taglines that were? I, I've, I've got some others okay. there. I don't want to discuss them yet, because I was going to be like, if there were no other taglines, what would you have used as a tagline? We could We can ponder that later. Yeah. Uh, directed by Ubaldo Regano, Regana, uh, the Italian version, and Sidney Salco, the U.S. version. Okay. Um, written by Richard Matheson. He actually wrote this, I mean, the screenplay, but he he decided after he saw the first initial viewings that he didn't, he, he was embarrassed by it. So he changed it. He said, can I take my name off this movie? And they're <laughs> like, well, you can, but then you won't get any money off of it. And he's he looked and he's like, yeah, my family could, you know, uh, use the money. He's like, okay, make my name Logan Swanson. So when you see Logan Swanson as the screenplay writer, that's actually Richard Matheson who wrote the book. So. That, okay. Wow. <laughs> I, I'm, okay. Well, you, you know what? I'll get into why that shocks me later, but go ahead. Uh, I'll. I mean, I will get into it, too, because I think that he is overly critical of this movie, but we'll get into that. Uh, William F. Leicester uh, wrote the screenplay officially, other than Logan Swanson, and then, obviously, it was based on Richard Matheson's novel. Uh, Furio Monetti and Ubaldo Regana play, uh, did the screenplay for the Italian version because it was released in you know both countries. Uh, music by Paul Sautel and Bert Schefter. Uh, I don't have a budget or box office because when I tried looking that up, nobody really had the, mu- the the numbers for this movie, like either domestically or international. And it was the weirdest thing. Like they kind of guessed at some of the budgets, but they didn't really want it. They didn't, di- they didn't definitively give anything for it. So yeah, I was kind of surprised by that. Um, I assume that it was a bomb, uh, just, I mean, you know, or if it did anything standard drive in, it just coasted along, didn't really make a lot of money because this movie really found its footing as a cult favorite, like years later as people like watched it and said, that's actually a pretty fucking good movie, you know, and then kind of gravitated toward it. Um, principal players, we have Vincent Price, Never heard Dr. Of Robert Morgan. Yeah. He's, he's not famous at all. Mm-mm. Uh, He's the survivor and virologist of the movie, uh, main protagonist. Um, changed the name, oddly, from Robert Neville in the novel, which was later picked up in the other versions, to Robert Morgan. I don't understand that part of it, but uh, obviously Vincent Price is known for The House on Haunted Hill, uh, the thriller voiceover that's so, uh, you know, uh, you know, famous, uh, The Fly from 1958, House of Wax from 53, all horror movies have been remade since then. Twice Toad Tales, Tomb of Legia, The Pit and the Pendulum, The Mask of the Red Death, etc. Did a lot of Poe stuff back in the day for Roger Corman. Um, Franca Batoya played uh, Ruth Collins. Uh, she's one of the new breed. 
the vampires who can actually walk during the daytime. Uh, Giacomo Ro- Rossi Stewart plays Ben Cortman, who is a, a former co-worker of Robert's, uh, turned into a vampire who is exclusively out to take Robert out oh, after yeah. he dies and comes back. It's like that's his whole undead mission. Uh, Emma Daniele plays Virginia Morgan, who is Robert's wife, uh, lost uh, to the uh, plague that hit. Uh, Christy Cortland plays Kathy Morgan, Robert's daughter, who was also lost to the plague. And Umberto Rajo plays Dr. Mercer, who is the former lead virologist who uh, Robert Morgan was working under. Uh, synopsis, Robert Morgan is the last man on earth. Everyone around him has succumbed to a plague that causes light sensitivity, followed shortly thereafter by blindness and then death. Well, they're mostly dead. <laughs> Those who aren't burned in the plague pits are reanimated with a thirst for human blood. Spending his nights barricaded in his home as the ghouls desperately try to make him their next snack and his days hunting down the nest of the nocturnal fiends, Morgan finds his new existence to be fairly monotonous. That is, until he meets a seemingly normal girl taking a daytime stroll through the park. Ben is taunting, Morgan's memories are haunting, and the daywalkers can't abide the last man on Earth. Other taglines, in all caps, How much horror can you face? Jesus. (laughs) Where lifeless hands reach out for warmth of human flesh, where terror walks on tiptoe begging for the blood of the last man on Earth. Wait, that was a tagline? The whole thing. The yes. whole. How much horror can you face is would have been you. You, you could have done good with that. You could have stopped there. <laughs> this one goes a little weird. Uh, I guess this was more Italian based. Oh, yeah. What what can she want? Who can satisfy her? Soothe that half mad sob, that lustful giggle, that tortured scream of pain. The dead know, and so does he, for he is the last man on earth. I'm like, are they talking about that? Uh, are they talking about the new vampire girl that pops up, uh, Ruth? Because like, I yeah. don't know who, which vampire is getting all freaky with the yeah, the what the heck, dude? Um, do you dare to imagine what it would be like to be the last man on earth? Or the last woman? They could I don't have know stopped. Why they had to add, yeah, I don't even know why they added the last woman part. Equality. I don't know. That wasn't a thing <laughs> back, back the then. Day, yeah. No, it, that definitely wasn't a thing. But they, it would have been so good because the movie is called The Last Man on Earth. Like, not the last man and woman. The last man. <laughs> like. Um, yep, I don't know. And then this last one. Alive among the lifeless. Alone among the crawling creatures of evil that make the night hideous with their inhuman craving. I mean, that's better than the first one. Like, the the main, the tagline they used I would say the last one, although it kind of doesn't really, it doesn't get to the point, but it does. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I don't know. It's one of those things where it's just, they're, they're all too long for what this, this yes. movie could have used. Here at Death Holler, we do not like the TLDR at all. Well, I mean, if you're wanting a tagline for a movie, you want something memorable that, yeah. like, you know, is like short, but like, you know, it, it gives you the essence of the movie in like one sentence at most or something. And, yeah. and some of these are fucking run-on paragraphs, I mean, for this one. Uh, quotes, Robert Morgan, December 1965. Is, has it been, uh, is that all it has been since I inherited the world? Only three years? Seems like 100 million. I bet. Uh, Robert Morgan, another day to live through. Better get started. Why are these all from uh, Robert? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like there's so many people in this movie. Uh, and I'll get to that. That's one of the criticisms of it. And I, and I don't understand that either, but I'll discuss that in a second. Uh, ben Cortman, there are stories being told, Bob, and then Robert, by people who are out of their minds with fear. And then Ben's by, like, well, maybe, but there are too many just be coincidental stories about people who've died and have come back. And then Robert uh, responds back, there's stories, Ben. Stories. Uh, if only that were true. Yes. Um, uh, ben Cortman, Morgan, we're going to kill you, which is what he says on repeat as a ghoul. Yes, um, when he comes back. When he comes back. Uh, Ruth Collins, you can't join us. You're a monster to them. Why do you think I ran when I saw you, even though I was assigned to spy on you? Because I was terrified what I'd heard about you. You're a legend in the city. Moving by day instead of night, leaving as evidence of your existence bloodless corpses. Many of the people you destroyed were still alive. Many of them were loved ones of the people in my group. 
And I left that in there because that line is, and it's in the book too, reveals that uh, he's Neville slash Morgan has not just been killing like the mindless vampires. He's been killing the ones that are the new type as well. Yeah. So I mean, that's why he is a monster to the new, new race of vampires. Uh, and then finally, uh, Robert Morgan, they were afraid of me. They were afraid of me. They were afraid of me when he finally realizes that he is a legend to them. He is the monster of the movie. Uh, um, to the new. Yeah. I would like to add a line and it is, I am a man, a man, the last man. <laughs> um, he wanted yeah, you to know everyone. He, whenever he's calling everybody, he, I like that line, but also when he calls them all freaks, I like oh, that yeah. too because he, he, you know, you're just a bunch of freaks. Um, I, now I'm going to skip around on this because I want to bring it up because we just mentioned it. Robert Morgan obviously has a bulk of the lines in this movie because the movie is mostly scenes of Vincent Price by himself living in this apocalypse with just like Ben outside screaming about how he's going to kill him for yeah. the most of the movie. They do a flashback where you see Robert's life prior, right before the apocalypse. And, um, and I love those scenes. We'll discuss that in a little bit, but biggest criticism of this movie is that Rob, that Vincent Price was not the right person to play this part. And I don't get what the criticism is of that. They said that he doesn't seem like their argument is that Vincent Price, I guess because he is so associated with playing these like European, like Gothic horror people that, you know, like his accent and the way he carries himself, that he doesn't seem like an every man USA guy that would be like the, you know, just the standard stock, like, you know, hero that you would imagine in a movie like this. You don't know who, when it comes to being these specific movies, you don't know who is going to be the last man. It could be a thin, frail, pale guy that, you know, is affected by the sun just as bad as the rest of them, but because he, whatever in his DNA has allowed him to stay alive, it could be that. There's no... They're not going to be like, oh, here's an all-American meat-loving motherfucker that'll be our hero to take us to the new ways, you know? And I agree with you. And, and when I read the novel, which the novel is fantastic, I st it, it holds up to this day. Uh, when, you, when I read the novel, I was like, I didn't imagine a guy who was like a big, like, you know, action hero type guy. He was more of like an, just a, you know, an average dude. And like, I, I feel like the, uh, I wouldn't say frailty, but just like the uh, non-athleticism of yeah. Price in the movie actually worked to make him sympathetic as a as a hero to me yeah. at least. In the he movie. didn't ask to be the last man; it was a fluke that he was, and it's not a great existence. And I'm sorry, but can we just discuss? I knew it just by watching this film. He's a tall ass motherfucker. Yeah, he, he was a very tall, foot. lanky guy. Yes, he is six foot four, and I don't even think he's lanky. There's lankier guys than him. I thought he well, was. Well, there, there are, yeah. He, I thought he was pretty average looking, but I knew by the way he kind of he has a slump. He has the tall person slump, and y'all can't help it. I, I mean, you know, I, I stand like I'm bigger than I am. I'm not, you know, <laughs> especially when I'm facing somebody who's six foot four. But he's. I, I'm like, I'm looking and I'm like, they can't fit him and his feet into a shot. Not from, not without being far away. like in, you know, cameras were way, they weren't as advanced as they are now. I'm like, he's a tall motherfucker. So I had to Google it. Yeah. Six foot four. I think that, that, I mean, six foot four is not even average now. We're not, not even close. So imagine back in the day. Yeah, I, and maybe, well, and maybe that too is what they were arguing. Like, I mean, well, and actually I have seen that because they said they wanted somebody with more of like an average build that's not as tall and thin as what Vincent Price was. And I'm just like, why does that matter? Like, I don't understand why that is a complaint against this movie. Like, I mean, it's one thing if you say that like his line delivery was a little eccentric or whatever, which I didn't even really get that because mm -mm. he's been way more eccentric in movies than this. Yeah, this I is... thought he was actually, I, I'm not going to say bland because he wasn't boring, but he, he he spoke as if there's no one to speak to. Like, Which is the point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was... In, in in a way, boring, but not. It's hard to say. I wasn't like thrilled. I wasn't like, oh my god, this is Vincent Price. I wasn't starstruck when I saw him. I've never seen any of these movies other than I Am Legend, 
And I was just like, how much life is there in someone, someone when there's no life around you? Even the ones that are alive around him are dead, technically. I think, I think going by what you're saying is, and, and it's, it's a good point, the lifelessness that there might be in any of his delivery is just like that monotonous, like I'm alive another day. Yes. Let me go do my routine. That is pointless. You know, like he's just, he's at the point where he's kind of like giving up on everything a little bit. Yeah. And like, I don't fucking blame him. I mean, he, he literally spends his night just what, you know, you know, barricaded inside wakes up, has to go get fresh garlic of what's left, which is getting thin he has to go and he has to like whatever bodies of the the zombies that are you know slash vampires outside overnight have died because they feed upon one another whenever they can't get fresh blood. Uh, he collects them up, takes them to the plague pits, and then tries to make it home by night so that he can you know do it all over again. That's not that's not an existence, you know. Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, he is trying to clear out the city. He's got a goal. But, like, it's only, like, a half-hearted one. I mean, it, it's really just, like, I'm the only person around. And, and, and he does get on the he does get on the uh, the radio and try to contact yeah. other people, but there is nobody answering him at all. At so. this point, Vincent Price is the equivalent of a young child being told, go out and play, find something to do, get a hobby. He's trying, <laughs> but he's tired of it. <laughs> There's Nobody wants to play with him. <laughs> The hobbies are all the same. Nothing new is coming out. There's no good movies in the theater. Uh, that's true. Um, there's a there's a few of these movies that really are scenes in all these movies that really sell the apocalyptic feeling. But I feel like this one really has it going on with like the shots of like the empty streets, uh, especially whenever it's like the. Uh, I mean, it's more closed in on him through most of the apocalypse part of it. Yeah, but the apocalypse is set up in this movie way better than it is in all the other ones like to me i mean because you get to spend some time with him as like he's they're hearing about this european plague that's rolling in and like people are slowly like you can see his life like he he's got next door neighbors who are having their like dead loved ones carted off by the military yeah um you see him lose his daughter you see him at work trying to come up with a with a cure for the disease and like it's it's and basically every day he comes to work there's less and less people there to the point that he's literally the last one that's come in at all to even try to do anything on it i feel like this sells the whole apocalyptic feeling way better than some of the later films in the series to me i yeah. don't know how you felt about it but i would say that with him you saw from the beginning of the film that he had the tenacity to be the last man even though he didn't intend to and it goes into some of the scenes that you've brought up because while he he just didn't give up even when he knew it was it was over like he knew his wife was sick he knew his daughter was sick uh, he knew their end was coming, but he's like, let me just do my daily thing. And if I do this, which was he was working on a cure, I can I can help you guys. I can help you. You just have to be patient and live, et cetera, you know, all that stuff he's trying. And then even when he goes into work, his boss is like, no one else is coming in today. Like, they had all given up. People were just giving up left and right. And he is hoping for a miracle. He's hoping to find the miracle. He's hoping it already exists, you know. And, and he even goes to Ben, who is called out for the day, and sees that he's sick. And Ben's just like, "It's over. You're we're fucked." You know. Um, one thing that struck me as really creepy, uh, and only because we've lived through this now, is the scene where his wife is talking about his daughter um, and how she's uh, she's got the virus and how, how she's going to take him to the, take her the daughter to the doctor. And he, he begs with her. He's like, "You do not do yeah. this. If you take her to the doctor." They will sit. They will tell the military, and she will be in the plague pit. And uh, after 2020, and seeing what they did to some people who got COVID, that's actually—I mean, it happened. Yeah. In some cases, it really did. I mean, China—it was wild. They literally had bodies covered in sheets in the street. It was like yeah, it was I legit, mean, like the plague. <laughs> It's, I mean, and I know that, like, you know, you can just extrapolate what happened from the Black Plague to, you know, future ones because humans are, we repeat stuff and we have repeated the same things over and over again. It's just odd seeing a movie like this that was made in the 60s kind of have some of the hints 
of COVID, you know, even before. Oh my God. Uh, Several of these movies, honestly. Yeah. Um, Visually, this isn't the most striking of any of these movies, but it's, I actually enjoy the look of the ghouls in this because they look a lot and, and George Romero could say what he wants Mm -hmm. because this came out shortly before his movie. They look a lot like now the living dead. They do. They look a lot like. Yeah. It's, um, (laughs) they were zombies. It's, there's no, there's zombies that could bite you and turn you into a vampire zombie. Garlic also (laughs) is not your friend in this movie. Uh, no, uh, the mirror thing, they were able to get around a little bit, but I mean, you know, it, but I mean, just the way they moved, how slow they were, they, it's got a very zombie apocalypse feel to it. I mean, you can throw out the vampire thing. They were about as far from any kind of standard vampires as you can imagine. Yeah. And actually that's one of the things that, uh, Matheson hated about the movie was if you read the book, they're in the book, they're very agile. He made them very much like the old school vampires. They could climb, you know, they could, you know, get into places they shouldn't. Uh, because of their supernatural, you know, strengths and stuff. This movie, like, slowed them down, made them more like zombies, which they, you know, actually, you know, foretold the coming of in just a few years' time or whatever. So. Yeah. Uh, story, this is the closest to the book of all these movies, and it's my favorite because of it. I mean, now, I know Richard Matheson... Uh, was ashamed of it and when his name taken off of it. But I, to this day, I don't understand why because this is as close as they have ever come to making that book into a movie. It, it deviates in a lot of places, but it's got the ascent and it even shows the, the before times and the after times way better than any of the movies that, that were filmed after this. Yeah. Um, <sighs> Do I go into it now? Um. <laughs> I don't know what it Go was. Go ahead and say it. I don't know what it is about this movie, but this is the first old movie aside from 13 Ghosts that I, old movie that I was like, this is fucking amazing. I fucking like this film. So, spoiler alert, guys. I fucking liked it. I didn't like it. I loved it. Um, I have not read I Am Legend because that's what these books are based off of, right? Yes. I am legend. I have not read that book. Uh, so I can't compare to them. But something about this movie, the only thing visually you're going to get from this movie is the actors. And let's be honest, Vincent Price at 54 years old, I looked it up. That's how old he was. Strikingly handsome for that age. His wife who was in her 20s in this movie, fucking gorgeous. Those women back in the day just so fucking classically beautiful. You know? And and it was film and they they got Italian women which I mean also they they always accentuated like you know I mean any of their features and you know what I'm talking about oh yeah I mean they you know they always made sure they got knockouts you know whenever they got them in their movies they did they made sure they got knockouts but they also made them look like naturally beautiful not overly done beautiful I don't know how yeah. they managed well probably because the women were just already naturally beautiful so there's that um, <laughs> even the lady at the end of the movie who was like. Um, uh, she she was technically one of them, but she yeah. had a vaccine to kind of keep her, uh, controlled to a degree. Yeah. yeah, she was gorgeous too, even when she was all disheveled and everything. Yeah, there was one scene where she almost got a little on the ra- the ratchet side or whatever you want to say, but like that was right as she was like turning over to yes. one of them without her, you know, vaccine hit. So yeah, this movie um, was very much, obviously it was based only off of one person, the last man on earth, but he had to emote for everything. He had to show compassion, which he did for, you know, animals. Um, it's hard to have compassion for these people that are trying to kill him every night, <laughs> you know? Uh, and, and he doesn't have compassion for them cause he sees them as just like, uh, he sees it as they're suffering and he needs to put them out of their misery. That's why, that's where he's coming from with all that. Yeah, that's true. Um, um, he's working on it. And he has to show anger. He has to show, you know, desperation. I don't think he showed desperation very well, though. Like when he's chasing the girls, like, oh, wait, I want to talk to you. It was just that old classic time of, you know, they only do so much. Now there's definitely, they're more dramatic about it. Yeah. Um, one thing that, that, that comes across in this that uh, a little bit, but not as much as in the book, um, is the fact that the one reason he could have killed Ben 
his next door neighbor, which goes by a different name in the book, but it's still yeah. you know the, the the same type of character. He could have killed that character long ago. Like that character is easily killed, but the reason he doesn't is because there's uh, like almost a sadomasochistic thing about it. It's like that's his one connection to the past. So like he it's it, it's like almost it's a it's a reminder of what he lost, but at the same time it's nostalgic. So that's the reason he doesn't kill Ben, even though Ben's like the biggest pain in his ass. You know, <laughs> it's like every night. It's it's because it's like okay, that still reminds me that I you know of where I came from. So that's you know it's almost like a little bit of a uh, you know him just it, it's like an inner pain that he's just allowing himself to feel every night to feel something because yeah. you know he doesn't have anything anymore to really go on. Technically, he could talk to Ben. I'm just saying. <laughs> he could, but like Ben's just all like since I mean, and and they they did a good job of you know bringing this over a little bit from the book too. Uh, his next door neighbor, which I think is a Jewish character in the book, and they they, they make a big deal of that in the book too that the, the religious symbols only apply to the you know to the, the vampires slash zombies if they were religious in life and his next door neighbor doesn't respond to crosses but if you show him like a hebrew you know like star or whatever then like he you know that actually repels him because of his religious beliefs but like um it, it's one of those things where if it, his like ben hates him or is so uh bitter at him over not believing him over the virus that like he he refuses to uh, i mean like that's what fuels him every night yeah so if he did talk to him that's all he would ever get out of him is just like the hatred you know well i mean <laughs> it's better than nothing i'm just kidding i don't know i don't know what i would do in that situation i i don't know how one has the will to live that long when you're literally by yourself. Like I, to not be driven mad, which he kind of thought he was, well, that might've been the Omega man, but, um, they show the, the insanity more in Omega man. That's yeah. the one benefit it has over this movie. But like, there's a little bit of that in this one. I mean, he, you know, he, he does kind of, I mean, you, you can kind of see he's like a little frayed at the edges. And I think that's more like Vincent price and, you know, like, the way he comes across, but he, he, he does bring that a little bit. Yeah. Um, so that was the visuals. Did we really go, did we go over the story? Cause I felt like we kind of s- steeped into acting already. Um, the story um, is pretty, well, you said, actually you said it follows the story of the book, but I don't think a lot of people know the book so much as they do the movies. The, the book is basically, I mean, a similar situation to what you see in this movie. You, you're follow you start out and you're following Robert Neville. Uh, he, you know, he, I don't even know if he was a virologist. I think that might've been added in this movie because I think he's just like an average everyday guy. And he just so happened to have been like a, maybe a civil engineer. There was some reason why he was in another country at some point in his life. And whenever he, uh, was in like a, you know, South America or someplace like that. He was bit by like a, a vampire bat and yeah. like he, he, he got a little bit of a virus, but he got over it and that somehow made him immune to the vampire virus. He got the China flu. And, yeah, basically. Um, and he, he became immune to it. And so like, that's the reason he's the only person who's left alive and you're kind of following him along and he goes back and he, and, you know, like when he meets certain vampires who are from his past, he kind of it, like, he does flashbacks in the book and he kind of, you kind of see his life before the apocalypse, but you kind of follow him as he goes along and he like, you know, finds these nests of vampires and he takes them out, you know, one at a time until he finds the dog and there's a, and it's way more drawn out in the book than it is in this movie. Uh, he spends time with that dog. That's like, that you can tell he's it, there. It focuses on his mental aspects and like it, he actually has something alive that he can you know, yeah. spend time with. In the movie, he was, it was like, he was so excited to have a friend. Yeah, and, and he is in the book, too, and they spend time together until eventually the dog does run off one day and then uh, presumably gets hurt by, you know, one of the, you know, the crazy vampires, the ones that have no control over anything. Yeah. And uh, and then he has to, you know, he does what he does, and then, um, and then he's distraught again, and then he sees the girl, and she seems to be alive, and then he thinks that, you know, until he finds out otherwise, and then that's when, you know, and the ending's kind of similar. Uh, they they bring him to, like, this church-like setting, and they basically sacrifice him, 
and but in the book it's way more uh, negative because he's like looked under a microscope he's been stu- you know he's been like freelancing as you know like studying like vi- the virus or whatever uh, in his spare time and he happens to have looked at the blood of the girl who kind of sold him out because she she sells him out in the book yeah and whenever he looks under a microscope he sees that where she's so confident that she's like the new breed and they're going to start a new society, he sees that her blood starts breaking down just like the other vampires, oh, the crazy ones. Yeah. So all, all these these new vampires are going to go insane just like the other ones. It's just a slower process. And so when they when they're killing him, he's kind of got like a cynical laugh about it. He's just like, "All right, you're doomed too." Fuck and, you, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, they kind of show that in Omega Man that even though you're part of this new solution, if you will, or new breed, um, he's noticing that he's finding dead ones, and for no reason. It's yeah, like they just yeah. fallen over and died, even after they've had fresh food. You know. Um. Also, I found it kind of strange. So in this movie, um, at towards the end, uh, he quotation mark cured her. He did an antibody infusion, which yes. also way ahead of its time for those listeners out there that don't know. I had an antibody infusion for COVID. <laughs> Never had the vaccine though, uh, and it works. <laughs> Just so I am a, I am a, I am living proof that it worked. But anyways, she had an antibody infusion, and she gets bit by what's his name Ben. Uh, yes, Ben breaks it. Which, by the way, first of all, can we talk about? I'm gonna backtrack a little bit. Let's talk about the barricading of this house and how weak it was. <laughs> and night after night. A horde. It's like a neighborhood of hordes. It's not like a huge, it's not like the entire city coming after him, but it's like a neighborhood. Every night they're coming after him, and they can see in his windows. They can antagonize him. They can talk to him. These boards are barely on, and they've been coming after him for two years, but it's just one night Ben just tries the back door, and he's able to get in. No fucking problem. I always take that in this movie, and you have a point, but I always take it in this movie is that, like, one of two possibilities. Uh, Robert has, because the girl is introduced, he is getting sloppy. Okay. He's not doing, you know, he's more focused on her. And also, I, I wonder if it's a death wish. Like, he doesn't care anymore, so he's not doing what he needs to do to keep them out. I mean, do you think, well, maybe prior to meeting her, but... After meeting her, well, I guess he does. He's very unsure about her, and they find out. He finds out real quick in this movie who she is. So yeah, yeah. I was about to say because that you feel like that would even then though I would want to know more. I mean, just like R in you know warm bodies, it's like why are you doing this? I'm terrified of you, but I'm also intrigued. Like you know, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't, and he doesn't get a lot of time with her, to my knowledge, in the book either, because yeah. like he has way more time with the dog, and then like whenever, and then it's like then he meets her, but then like she quickly sells him out. And this one, she kind of sells him out, but then at the same time, when she realizes, you know, what he is, and that might be in the book. It's been a while since I read it. She kind of has a change of heart, but it's too late. You know, they oh, they yeah. already know where he's at. So. Oh yeah, they know what's up. But yeah, so do all. The, so does the fucking neighborhood. It's not like it's been a surprise. It's. It's not a secret, okay? You're just not working hard enough. I don't know. But anyways, going back, uh, so she, she's she been healed. She's got the antibody infusion. Ben bites her. Does that turn her into one again? Does that counteract the I infusion? Would, no, I wouldn't think so because I, cause to my knowledge, if uh, if Robert was to get bit, it wouldn't affect him that way. It's just they, oh, okay. they can still kill him, you know, like tear him apart or whatever they're going to do. But, like, their bites have no effect on okay. him because he, he's immune to the virus. So. I was wondering about that. I was like, oh, fuck, all that work for nothing. <laughs> so, she at the end of the movie, she is immune and, in theory, could pass on her immunity to them if they were able to, to you know, synthesize it and do whatever they needed to do with it. But I don't know if that – they don't really give a hint that that's what's going to happen to these yeah. this new, you know, group of people. They leave it open to – I don't know, whatever you think is going to happen. you It's a choose-your-own-adventure in your own mind. Uh, the music in this one, um, surprisingly, uh, there's 
I feel like there's little of it. There, it's more like classical in places. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I think this movie does really well is that there's a lot of no music, meaning it's got like that empty, yeah, like apocalyptic feeling to it. It's like there's no sound, you know. When there's no music in one of these classic films, it's almost like the voice of the actor who is on screen is the mel- mel- uh, melody that you hear. It's the they're the music, you know, the tone of their voice and how they're. Uh, how they're announce, pronouncing things, etc., is what is the rhythm of what you're feeling. So, if anything, it sets the tone of how intense the scene is. Are we scared? Are we calm? What's going on? You know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, the actor then uh, sets the stage more than the music necessarily. And there's nothing wrong with that because mm-hmm. I mean, if you got a good actor, they can sell it and maybe in some movies they actually over rely on music to kind of sell the mood when the actors should be bringing more of it themselves. Yeah. And I think the Um, music was appropriate because when like someone's breaking in somewhere, you know, which by the way, the glass breakage in these films, so weak. (laughs) I wonder if that's what it really (laughs) sounded like versus them using a soundstage and breaking glass or adding the sound of glass breaking because it was very, it was very Walmart. Uh, (laughs) Well, also in this movie, I mean, it's very noticeable in the flashback scenes. Uh, all of the actors besides Vincent Price could not speak English, so you can tell there's dubs going oh, on because okay. their, their mouths don't match what they're saying That's exactly. so funny. I noticed that, but I didn't think about it. Oh, that's how I funny. mean, it's not it's not terrible in this. I've seen way worse, but, uh, I mean, Vincent Price, obviously being with him most of the movie, you, it, it's you only really notice it whenever they go back to the other actors. I mean, other than him. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I love this movie for an old movie. I think it's one of Vincent Price's best, honestly. I mean, it, it, it's actually very creepy in parts just because of the, the, the tone of the movie and the setting and everything else. It's not scary. I mean, but it, it's, it's it for yourself. What, no, I'm just kidding. It sells what it's trying to go after, yeah. though, that post-apocalyptic feeling for sure. I mean... Definitely the feeling of loneliness. Yeah, and then I I don't... I mean, I know that Romero was inspired more by the novel than the movie, but I can't help but think that he might have seen this movie at some point, and it, it, it also stirred some things, you know, as far yeah. as like what he wanted to go for. Uh, do you want to go into trivia now on this yeah. one? Uh, to more accurately show how grueling it was for his character to survive, Vincent Price insisted on lifting real people in the back of his car instead of dummies. Wow. This is why it seems like he's taking extra care with the bodies and why it takes and why it's so hard for him to lift them up. Uh, for the scene at the pit, however, he's obviously handing dummies for yeah. obvious reasons. He's throwing them down a big-ass pit. Yeah. Um, I think that's a good call because, I mean, it, it really sells it. I mean, it's like, and you think about it, I mean, that'd be rough, like having to lift, like, whole fucking bodies. Yeah. Like, you know, one And then you don't the want to drop them on their head or anything. <laughs> uh, established by many reviewers, including George A. Romero himself, as a graphic blueprint for Night of the Living Dead. So he actually did watch this movie, and he did actually get inspired by parts of it. And and I know the scenes of the of, of Ben outside hammering on the like the wooden boards. I mean, come on, that's yeah. straight Night of the Living Dead. Oh, absolutely. Which is, I I mean, I was thinking that, but I was also just like at the same time thinking, don't get upset because. Every film, they got a little bit better at barricading or locking themselves up. And, yeah, because there's two other films, and they they got better every time. But this first one was very, sir, my 13-year-old could break into that. Uh, he does a lot better job in the novels of talking about how every day he has to go back and get like more boards to like because they pried off parts of yeah. it. It's very grueling for him because most of his day is r- – Fixing the house so that you get inside of it at night. I mean, it, which makes sense. Uh, Vincent Price admitted in later years to having a fondness for the movie and rated it as superior to the Omega Man in 1971. I mean, he's partial, though. <laughs> well, it's funny because we'll get to a statement made by Charl- uh, Charlton Heston uh, uh, regarding wh- what he views as a superior movie between these. Okay. And you guess which one he thinks was the better movie. 
Uh, although this is much more faithful to the book than the Omega Man and I Am Legend, which are based on the same novel, it changes the main character's name from Robert Neville to Robert Morgan, while the other two leave it unchanged. Uh, there's also another noticeable difference. It depicts the vampires as slow-moving and uncoordinated. In the novel, they're fast and agile, like you would think a vampire would be. Um, the script was written in part by Richard Matheson, but he was dissatisfied, like I said, and asked to be credited as Logan Swanson so that nobody would know it was him that may- helped make this. I think that was a mistake, personally. I, I, I still think he was overly critical yeah. of this one. Like, uh, but And how big was Vincent Price at this point of the film? Was he I mean, well established? 50, or the sixties? He he was pretty well known for. I mean, uh, you know, making horror movies. I mean, he was kind of a horror icon. I don't know, but he, like I said, he was mostly known for being the gothic, you know, movies or whatever the Edgar Allan Poe. He wasn't. Movies. It's hard because we're looking at Vincent Price in a different way. We're looking at him as a national treasure that he is, you know, and. Then we're looking at him in this film. We're like, what are you talking about? He, you had a national treasure, but they didn't know that at the time. Yeah, and, and well, also, I think I think Richard Matheson was upset with this because think of it this way. I Am Legend is the book that actually got him, like, his biggest, like, career break, period. So he was very partial to the book. He was very partial to, like, how it looked in his mind. And I, and I guarantee, just like Stephen King with The Shining, even though Stanley Kubrick did deliberately fuck with King on that one. So there's some reasons why he was pissed off, but just like Stephen King, it's like you see your baby put up on screen. It doesn't match what you had in your head. And you're like, fuck that guy. He didn't get what I was going for, you know, whatever that was when it was done. I think that's part of it. I think that's why Matheson was more, was more upset with this one than he was any of the other ones. Also, he, I mean, I'll get into it in a second. He actually had, a different version of this planned a few years before that he was going to work with hammer horror to make and things fell through. And I think that's like in a, in a couple of like seconds here that I'll get into that. But, um, that would have been a drastically different movie. Um, uh, Vincent price is the only cast member to speak his own English. As I've stated earlier, uh, Richard Matheson originally wrote the script in 57, at which point it was to have been produced by Hammer Films with Fritz Lang uh, slated to direct. Uh, Matheson was disappointed when Lang was uh, replaced shortly before filming began. Uh, the Matheson first was three... just a bitter Betty this whole time, it sounds like. Yeah, well, I mean, he, he had, like, bigger plans for the movie, and it kind of, like, got... It's like, oh, we can't make that because of this, that, or this reason. Okay. Handed it off to the Italians. The Italians, I think the Hammer couldn't do it because they said it was too graphic or something because Britain has always been, like, very peculiar with, like, how much, uh, like, uh, just graphic. Uh, they don't care about nudity. They, they'll put that in there day and night, but they, if it's any kind of violence, they're like, whoa, cut that shit out or we're, we're not going to let your movie go by. And the Italians are like, all right, we got titties, we got blood, let's do this. They, they don't care. <laughs> we got they, they titties, we got blood, yeah. <laughs> um, the first of the three feature film adaptations, uh, of course, with the Omega Man and I Am Legend coming after. Um, the novel was also made into a short film called Soy Leyenda in 1967. So I guess like a Mexican or maybe it could be Italian, I guess. They oh, I am have, legend. I, why did that take yeah. me forever to... Fu- oh, my God. I'm so dumb. I'm like, so, I was thinking Soylent Green. Um. <laughs> Which is funny, given who's in Omega yes. Man. And, yeah. Uh, despite being a disappointment at the box office, the movie attained a cult following later on. Well, the film was originally going to be produced by Hammer Films, like I said. Uh, they decided not to make the film and pass the script over to U.S. associate Robert L. Loppert, uh, which produced the film in Italy. Uh, Hammer had tried to set this up as the late 50, in the late 50s as a night creature's uh, n- a name or whatever. Uh, Stanley Baker, Paul Massey, uh, Lawrence Harvey, and Kieran Moore all, were all considered for the Robert Neville part. Um, I, I don't get the whole thing gets priced in this, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, since a clerical error caused the film's copyright to expire, which is funny because Night of the Living Dead yeah. has a very similar problem. It is now in the public domain and has been released on numerous low budget home video editions. The Richard Matheson source novel is still under copyright. However, um, Richard Matheson himself felt that Vincent Price was miscast as Robert Morgan. Again, they, they didn't know that they had a legend in their film. 
I, I just think he had, I think he was very tied to the novel and he had a certain image of who yeah. he wanted to play the part and he couldn't let it go. Uh, he absolutely couldn't. And I mean, like, I get it. It's his baby. You did mention that, but man, like, th- I wonder, d- do we know if in the future he, he came to realize how lucky he was to have Vincent Price? I don't think he ever, uh, he ever went back and gave this movie any credit whatsoever at all, like later on. Uh, and it's sad because, and we even covered one of Richard Matheson's movies al- already, The Legend of uh, Hell House or whatever. Uh, I think uh, when we covered it in Ghost Season, I mean, he's had other, I mean, like, he's had a lot of movie adaptations of his work, but this is one of his, like, low points because that book. Uh, meant more to him than most of his other stuff, uh, apparently. Um, the movie takes place in 1968, even though it was came out in 64, so it was set in the future from the time that it was released. Uh, kind of, I guess, to give people more of like, a, oh, this could happen, you know, like vibe or whatever. Um, and Charlton Heston, here we go, viewed this film before proceeding with a remake of The Omega Man, and he described this version as incredibly botched, Totally unfrightening, ill-acted, sloppily written, and photo- and and photographs. So, oh, yeah? Charlton Heston was a major bitch about this movie. So, oh my there you go. god, <laughs> he described. So he described the Last Man as this, not Omega Man. He described this, not the last. He thought the Omega Man was great. Uh, you know, and because for a minute the there, I thought man. you were describing Omega Man. <laughs> and another spoiler alert. Just so we're clear, I liked Omega Man. I didn't think, I just think one's better than the other, and I don't think it was Omega Man. I agree with you on both accounts. I like both movies, but I think that this movie is the superior version of this Yeah, this, of this And it's not because of Vincent Price. Now, d- dumb moment here, you're, it, everyone's going to be like, Raina, what the fuck is wrong with you? I didn't, I was like, this guy looks like Vincent Price. <laughs> <laughs> So I wasn't sold on the movie because it was like Vincent Price. Like I was like, oh, this bro looks like Vincent Price. Because again, I started this film at work on a not as busy day, a very light day so I can kind of fill the time. And I got to watch a good chunk of it. And then I realized this movie is actually pretty good. We're going to watch the rest of this at home. So that's what I did. And clearly at that point, I was like, oh, well, this is Vincent Price. How did I not know by the voice? Although I'm sure there's certain voice acting he's done that he's a little more dramatic with his voice. I'm surprised he, he didn't do Haunted Mansion, honestly. He was not the Vincent Price dramatic that he was when he did the thriller rap. I mean, it was night and day difference between, you know, the two. He that's what I'm saying. Like, you can't use that well, he he Vincent Price always said this, you know, he was kind of a weird sounding individual. It's like he he wasn't I mean, in this movie, he was as about as plain Jane as he as he ever got. Like, I mean, he was way more dramatic in most of his other like you know roles as uh, you know any of the Poe films that he did. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, anything that you want to say about the this movie before we call it a you know quits on this uh, part of the episode and and bring it back up again and uh, uh, the Omega Man and I Am Legend uh, next episode. Yeah, I just want uh, to reiterate how surprised I was that I liked a black and white film. <laughs> I maybe have a handful of black and white films that I like. I'll tell you, I remember liking this when I saw it and went rewatching it. I, was, I enjoyed the whole thing all the way through again. Didn't even, I mean, wasn't even tempted to look at my phone. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I, I, like, I like this movie. I the really do. The fact it's that just, I, it, like, it was, okay, because when I was at work and I was like, oh, no, I need to watch this at home, that 18-minute drive home was torture. I was wanting to know what was happening in the film. Uh, so, <laughs> and I was genuinely surprised in the film at how intrigued I was by everything. Like, you know, I wasn't scared by the zombies or anything, but there was definitely some exciting parts, if you will, that, get you like excited and a yikes that was kind of scary or, oh my god they're coming things like that or, or hey there's a person or hey there's a dog so many different emotions were felt in this film and i was like holy crap i'm liking this old ass film yeah it's to, to me it's just like i said i think it it captures that that lonely post-apocalyptic feeling 
way better than like I mean many movies that try to replicate it. It, yeah. it just it's got that vibe to it, and that, that's what. And just the way that they set up, like like I said, the flashback scenes just help it so much, in my opinion, because you see society breaking down in this movie, which is this predates Night of the Living Dead. This is the first, I mean, really movie that really, that, I mean, this is the first movie that really does that where you see society breaking down and like, you know, a little bit of time, all the stuff that we've come, become uh, used to in modern living, even though this was in the sixties, not too far off. Um, it's just going by the wayside. Cause you know, uh, in this case, a virus is, yeah. you know, uh, wiping everybody out, which after, COVID, you know, has a whole other meaning. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I'm glad you dug it because I, I really like this one. And it's, again, it's the spoiler going forward. It's the closest to the book and, and I'm, I, it's my favorite of the three I'm yeah. before I get to the other ones. Um, yeah. Um, what was I going to say about I'm not saying it? that I don't like parts of the other ones. I really do. Oh, yeah. But like, oh, this, yeah. I'm sure overall we'll, package, we'll get know. into that. But did you think I was going to like this film? I know you're always hopeful of that I'm going to like a film. Or are you pretty much resigned to the fact that, oh, she's not going to like a, an old film? I was watching it and I was like, I, I, was, I, I was really worried because, like, <laughs> like, especially with the zombies, like, being, you know, like like we said, like, so slow and everything like that. I'm like, ah, this is probably going to be too cheesy for her. I don't think she'll like Mm-mm. this. Never think know. that about the zombies because the slow ones scare me just <laughs> as bad as the fast ones. The fast ones, I'm like, fuck you. You don't exist. But the slow ones, they just, I feel like they just suddenly there and they get you and you're, you're done. You're fucking done. And I, I can't handle it. My heart can't handle it at all. <laughs> Well, we're going to be talking about zombies that can form like whole soliloquies in the next movie. So join us then for Omega Man. Uh, And with that, peace be with you. And with your spirit.